Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to marketing strategies to regulatory pressures. The Great Recession of 2008 may be long over, but the penny-pinching it inspired in consumers and their subsequent shift to store brands is not. This is prompting national brand marketers to explore new ways to reach consumers and downplay the competitive threat of private label. According to data from private label manufacturing sourcing platform thomasnet.com, the popularity of store brands remains strong despite the recovered economy, as illustrated through an uptick in sourcing of private label manufacturing and packaging. Specifically, the company saw sourcing for private label manufacturing climb 25% in August, compared to its all-time average. Likewise, private label manufacturing surged 48% in August, compared to the prior month, and had 38% more valuations than average in the last week of August. To find out what's driving the strong and sustained growth in private label, as well as how the trend is impacting retailers, national brand manufacturers, and startups, I caught up with Tony Uphoff, who is the CEO of thomasnet.com. He explained that there are five main drivers behind the strong and sustained growth of private label and store brands since the recession ended. There's been an increase in comfort with consumers in private label. Certainly, it, it, it goes beyond a decade, but it's accelerated over the last decade. And you know, we think there's multiple drivers for this. I think one is, um, you know, you've got, uh, you know, the value-conscious consumer. Um, you know, the recession certainly helped with that, where consumers were looking to, you know, simply spend less. And um, I, I think that was a driver of it. I, I think you also saw a lot of innovation in retail um, from some of the larger retailers. So if you look at Walmart or Costco, you get into grocery chains like Whole Foods, all of those um, uh, retail brands started to innovate with private label uh, sub-brands that they created. And most of them were, again, driven towards the value-conscious consumer, but you kind of saw two things coming together. One is an increasing comfort in that while this might be private label, there was a big brand behind it. You know, if it's Kirkland at Costco, nobody is confused that that's not a high-quality brand. And even though it may not be branded in a classic consumer packaged goods brand, it's a big retail brand behind it. The other thing is the level of choices expanded at the same time. So maybe there was one or two private label products that they might have turned to for staple goods of some sort. But I think the explosion of private label options probably has afforded you know, consumers to, to stick with private labeling. I think there's another aspect about it that it is just the phenomenon of the Internet. You know, the Internet tends to reduce pricing and um, uh, com commoditize markets. And all that really means is the consumer can do price comparison in a heartbeat online. That has nothing to do with the recession and just everything with transparency about pricing. In response to these drivers, Uphoff says retailers are shifting the balance on their store shelves of what goods they make themselves versus those that come from branded manufacturers. There is such a thing to call it traditional retail. The model was, you know, no more than 25 to 30% of your own brand on your shelf space. 
because what would happen is the other packaged goods companies would get nervous, meaning if you were private labeling something, you had your own label, you wanted to keep it to around 30% of shelf space because then it was defensible. If Procter & Gamble walked in or whoever it was that was selling through your, your retail outlet because you wanted to balance that. But Offhoff notes that consumer comfort with private label increases, so too is the amount of space retailers give their own products. For example, he noted 80% of the products Trader Joe's sells are sourced directly from suppliers and privately labeled. In addition, industry newcomer Brandless, which launched this summer, sells only private label products and markets them based solely on their product description. So for example, peanut butter or dark roast coffee. One of the trade-offs of reducing the percentage of national brands on store shelves is the need for retailers to reassure consumers about the quality of their offering by enhancing the visibility of their own brand, either on shelf or as a whole shopping experience. Clearly, some of the stores that we've mentioned have well gone, gone well beyond the 30% level. And, and I, I, you know, I, I'm only conjecturing here, but um, at the end of the day, I, I think they're following an economic model that's working for them. I think they're able to um, source high-quality products and services. Um, they're able to pass some of those savings along to the consumer. Um, they're able to better compete with retail as a result of that. But I think they're also rebranding the experience. Um, I mean, it, it is fascinating to me, and I just, you know, this is probably more opinion than, than uh, data or factually based, but the number of times you have conversations with people that talk about where they go to buy their produce and their beef and their seafood, it's a shopping experience. It's not unlike the way people used to talk, talk about going and, and shopping at a, at a mall. I mean, people are, are you know, really into where they buy their, their food and how that works for them and those types of things. So, it, 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 uh, you know, frankly, when I was, you know, earlier in, in my, uh, my life and career, the idea of having to go out and shop at a store drove me nuts. It was the last thing I was interested in doing. I think now people really enjoy the experience. That's because the retailer is changing that experience. They're sourcing local products and services. They're giving demonstrations inside stores. They're showing, you know, they're bringing in local artisans who might have made the cheese or, you know, uh, bottled the, the local beer or whatever the heck that it is. So I think part of it is um, the retailer is understanding not only can they um, compete with the Internet by creating a better experience, I think they're also realizing that by sourcing locally uh, of high-quality goods to the extent that they can then produce it more efficiently, um, they're passing some of those savings on to the consumer as well. It goes without saying that this shift is causing some consternation among nationally branded manufacturers. But according to Uphoff, it's also creating new opportunities as companies look for new ways to reach consumers. Anytime that you're predominant form of distribution is um, starting to cooperate and compete with you. We call it coopetition. You know, when that starts to happen, that creates a, a level of, of complexity to the business model. I, I don't know how new that is. It might be accelerating, certainly, but as we've talked about before, that's not completely new. You know, there has been a certain level of coopetition between distributor, you know, the, the retail outlets and the, and the manufacturers. I think what it is getting some of the manufacturers to start to think about is how could they or should they go direct themselves? 
you know, we're seeing new channels of distribution, primarily through online distribution. You know, look at the range of products and services that a, 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 um, a digital storefront like Amazon sells today. Um, and, you know, the things that we would have thought of as consumer packaged goods that we could only get in retail are available in a, in a myriad of, of digital storefronts today. So I think that that's probably, um, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's something that, that is, is opening up new, uh, new opportunities. I think, I think that you are also seeing some level of innovation of um, redefining uh, how big brands market directly to consumers. So Unilever is, you know, in the top two or three, you know, consumer uh, conglomerates in, in the world. And uh, not too long ago, they bought Dollar Shave Club. Well, they certainly didn't buy Dollar Shave Club because they don't know how to make razors. Right, they bought Dollar Shave Club because Dollar Shave Club had built a very large subscription uh, database based on going direct to the consumer. And so, you know, A, it's an economic opportunity for Unilever, but I, I'm going to guess that what they're really trying to figure out is <clears throat> that could be hedging their bet, <clears throat> pardon me, so they could, you know, go direct through an online or subscription-based model and completely cut out the middleman of distribution or retail completely. Another example of how manufacturers are going around the competition, not just from retailers, but from other national brands as well, is the Amazon Dash button, which is a physically branded button that consumers have in their homes, cars, or offices, and that they can tap when they want to order a specific product. It's then added to the Amazon cart without consumers ever having to look at other competing products in the same category. You know, many people are realizing that Amazon is probably one of the largest advertising networks in the world right now. Amazon has the ability to showcase products and services, so they can also be a marketplace, meaning, hey, I can just search who has the, the cheapest detergent. Amazon can also promote something like Tide in a way to the consumer that, frankly, no television network could possibly compete with. So to your point, if I'm a big brand, I'm probably spending a lot of time with Amazon right now, not only just thinking through the muscle of how do I get my products into the consumer's hand through a digital store, but also how do I brand and promote those products and services through the channel known as Amazon. They, they end up in the same thing, but I, I think there's some opportunities there for the, uh, the large-scale um, manufacturers or, or branded manufacturers. Uphoff also says consumers' increasing comfort with private label or store brands is creating increased opportunities for startups or lesser-known brands because consumers are more willing to take a chance on a product they maybe previously haven't heard of. For example, he points to the fast rise of handcrafted small batch distilled spirits. Um, these companies, again, appear to have almost come out of nowhere and they didn't have, you know, major distribution or major funding behind them, and they've gotten a toehold in the marketplace. Um, and I think they're, they're probably tapping, you know, multiple trends there. I think as consumers, many of us are interested in something that's handcrafted, small batch, perhaps local. Um, you know, maybe it has some organic component to it or sustainability component that do appeals to us as consumers. But I, I, I think it... There's so much opportunity nowadays for small um, uh, brands or startup brands, you know, cutting across all the categories that we've talked about. You know, there's a, there's a, a vodka that has become, you know, very well known now called Tito's Vodka. Um, but it was started by, uh, you know, somebody who had not had experience, was not, you know, a, a lifer in the distilled spirits industry. 
Um, his, his primary background before he started to distill vodka was he was a digital marketer. And he was able to break into the marketplace by creating um, a, 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 an awareness with the consumer based on his understanding of low-cost, uh, high-impact uh, digital marketing. With this in mind, Epoff added that the direct-to-consumer model and e-commerce have lowered the barriers for entry for smaller and lesser-known brands. It used to be that you know you just couldn't get distribution, and it, and it you know to just stymie you because you couldn't get into one of the big retailers. Well, now you can go direct to the consumer and build awareness, and then the you know the the uh, the retailer would end up having to carry it over time. So, I don't see any of those dynamics that we just described. Um, decreasing. Um, and, and I also think, um, as we started the conversation with, I think you have a consumer today that, that doesn't look at private labeling as, as a low-quality product. They look at it as an as a, as a alternative and an increasing, um, perhaps, high-quality product that feels to them more like a niche. And that niche could be a value-based, i.e. pricing, or that niche could be you know, it's, it's affiliated with this retailer and the retailer sourced all of the ingredients locally. So I, I think there's a lot of dynamics coming together that would suggest, you know, we, we think this is a trend that's going to continue. I don't see it slowing down, uh, you know, any, uh, any, any time soon. To succeed in this new paradigm, Upoff advises manufacturers to focus on consumer demand and use the internet fully as both a vehicle for advertising and for direct distribution. On the manufacturing side, I would say, you know, I think there's a couple of things that you probably need to do, right? You, you need to, to make sure that you are, um, you're, you understand how to connect with consumers today. And, and I, I, that, that sounds like a marketing statement. I guess to a certain extent it is. Um, but I think you, you have to understand what is it that's motivating consumers. You know, what, you know if, if we're seeing consumers start to be more interested in how something is manufactured, where it was manufactured, where it was sourced, manufacturers have to understand those dynamics and make sure they're appealing to consumers with that in mind. Um, I think manufacturers have to be very, uh, very aware of the fact that consumers are using online now regardless of how they physically buy the product and service. So it, the data is overwhelming. So it, it, everything is, is determined, studied, evaluated, perhaps even sourced online, even if somebody walks in and then ultimately buys it in retail, and all that really means to the manufacturer is how they connect with that consumer and guide the consumer through that process needs to be carefully thought through. Um, I, I think the manufacturer also has um, multiple choices today to reach that consumer. So it used to be solely retail. They now have other choices. So the Internet is both a platform for awareness, but it is also a platform for distribution. And I think that's, um, that, that's, a, that's a tremendous opportunity. As for retailers, he had this advice. I think on the retail side of things, um, the, the, the opportunity is similar. I think for the retailer, focusing on the consumer experience. You know, what is it that makes it unique and different and pleasurable to come in and buy things inside the store? So if you're Walmart, that is, you know, price performance, you know, based but there's other reasons that people go to a Walmart for selection and availability and the experience of being in a, in a retailer like that. 
I think retailers have to have a very clear understanding of what that consumer experience is like. You know, price and availability as a retailer doesn't mean anything anymore. That used to be the value proposition. There's only so many places you can buy this, and I've got reasonable prices, so that, you know, therefore that's why you come into the retailer. You have to have a, a more branded retail experience. Um, and I think for the retailer, it, it's both an opportunity but a challenge. How do you manage the whole private labeling, you know, sourcing dynamic? You know, that, that's something that you need to manage very carefully so that you, um, you know, you're creating the right consumer experience, but you're also doing it at a profitable level. You know, so you don't want to change your business model so dramatically that you can't sustain yourself, but you also want to make sure that you're, you're creating a, a very uh, attractive and, and uh, repeatable consumer experience as well. And I'll leave you with those words of wisdom for this week, and thank you for listening to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll tune in again next week. Until then, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive and profitable week.